Welcome to You Love to See It, a podcast where we watch movies and TV shows and then tell you all about them. This week, in honor of Valentine's Day, but really in honor of my birthday, the real holiday, uh, we're watching the closest thing to a romantic comedy that I dare uh, for Valentine's Day, which is Howard Hawks' classic screwball comedy, Bringing Up Baby. This is a movie from 1938. Uh, so it's the oldest movie we looked at so far, but I'm joined by not the oldest staffer uh, at fanbyte.com. Uh, managing editor Steven Strom, who I've written here, uh, that you are also the managing paleontologist here at Fanbyte. Yes, that's true. I know about bones, except <laughs> no, this movie doesn't have any paleontologists as I understand it. It is just zoologists, too. Uh, so, yeah, you know. there's some there's some uh, confusion about what the fuck exactly Cary Grant is in this uh-huh. movie, other than definitely not a scientist in any respect right. uh, in the universe. Uh, but before we get into that, I suppose we should do the sort of little film description. I just uh, get these from Wikipedia usually or whatever page. Yeah. Uh, just a just a quick and quick and dirty description here. <clears throat> Harried paleontologist David Huxley, Cary Grant, has to make a good impression on society matron Mrs. Random, May Robson, who is considering donating $1 million to his museum. On the day before his wedding, Huxley meets Mrs. Random's high-spirited young niece, Susan Vance, played by Catherine Hepburn, a madcap adventuress who immediately falls for the straight-laced scientist. The ever-growing chaos, including a missing dinosaur bone and a pet leopard, threatens to swallow him whole. So, Stephen, yeah, I I have seen this movie a, a couple times actually, oh. and I have uh, an affinity at least for some screwball comedies. I I find it to be a very interesting subgenre, uh, sort of set against its time and and what was going on in Hollywood in the time. But I want to know what your history with this movie is. If you've seen it before, have you seen many screwball comedies? How'd you nope. come towards it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, no, I've never, nev- certainly never seen this. I don't think I'd ever even heard of it. And I don't, I'm thinking back and trying to think if I've ever seen a screwball comedy, period, which I think literally the first time I'd ever heard the term screwball comedy was literally Rob Zachney describing what that meant, uh, what that genre is, which mm. to this is my understanding of what it is mm-hmm. based on this movie, which is kind of like proto-romantic comedy meets slapstick. Yeah, you're that, not far off. Yeah, that's okay. absolutely. Uh, those are kind of two of the pillars there. The the third is kind of, um, I wouldn't call it quite proto-feminism, but there is typically an element of like very intelligent women and very strong women uh, being more competent and more strong and more intelligent than most kind of Hollywood uh, stereotypes at the time. Right. Which is what makes it interesting to me, at least, at least again in the sort of better remembered. Like his girl Friday is another good one. Philadelphia mm. Story, I'm eh, kind of eh on that one. Uh, that one's a little bit more romantic comedy than really, really, really fun screwball comedy for my taste. But yeah, okay. very farcical, very goofy, very slapstick. Um, there's a lot of like Battle of the Sexes stuff, and pretty much uh, most of these. There, there is that undercurrent of like. Women are really smart in these movies. They are as right. smart as the men in these movies, which I I do enjoy personally. I, I was actually going to say like because the other thing too about this movie that it seems like prototypical of is like and you mentioned it here in the notes that it seems prototypical of manic pixie dream girl <laughs> archetypes here. 
That's but, for sure. <laughs> but, al- but also, I, the, one of the things that stands out to me about this movie is that, like, I feel like in most Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies of the, like, mid-90s to early 2000s, your, yeah. I don't know, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind kind of thing. I guess that's even, like, post that, because that, that whole movie is kind of taking down that um, sure. stereotype. Yeah. But But people know what I mean. Um, yeah. In this, I, or in those, I feel like it is very much from the, like, male perspective of, a bit, like, a, a dude trying to, like, intentionally um, use a woman as, like, a way to, like, spice up their life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And whereas this seems, like, almost completely reversed where the man very much does not want that <laughs> whatsoever. He's trying his best yeah. to not get killed by this woman throughout the movie. <laughs> killed or arrested or um, horribly maimed. Uh, basically, <laughs> from every scene, um, and then, yeah. it, and it's actually her kind of romantic agency is kind of at the forefront. It's from the very beginning we we see that she is the one that is constantly trying to like you know keep within his sphere, and then also like she says that explicitly at the end of the movie that basically everything she had done up to that point was to try and get his interest. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes I feel like, and this is something that we see a lot in video games too. It's like women aren't allowed to have like sexual or romantic agency. They're, they're meant to be like, you know, viewed from afar or, or pursued, not necessarily the other way around. And for a movie from the 1930s, that really stuck out to me. Yeah. It's actually kind of cool in a way, right? There, there are a lot of reversals of kind of stereotypes here. And of course this movie is playing in a lot of stereotypical humor. This is a movie from 1938. We need to like throw that on top of everything that we talk about uh, in this movie. Um, there are going to be problematic elements, kind of no matter what direction you look at it from, certainly. Right. Uh, but, you know, w- which is to say, there's some, there's some shit in here that hasn't aged super well. <laughs> it's no, it's not breakfast at Tiffany's level, I would say. Sure. In, oh, sure, sure. We're, we're not like, the, like yeah. all the way, like, oh boy. But there are a few like, hmm, <laughs> I think this yeah. would play out a little differently today. It's uh, questionable. But, yeah. Uh, but this is a a, uh, a depression era film, and and very much from this sort of screwball comedies were very much 30s to early 40s. Uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned His Girl Friday, which is kind of my other favorite example, uh, to be honest. Like another very classic. You know, people are uh, are typically aware of like, if not like the specifics of the plot, that kind of oh the the assistant lady who's way smarter than the dude kind of thing. Sure. You know, that, that stereotype uh, or that archetype, I suppose we could say, kind of comes. Uh, from that tradition. Sort of um, a romantic Don Quixote kind of. Yeah, yes, yes, very much so. And also like professional women or very intelligent women, uh, you know, kind of being front and center and verbally sparring with their male partners kind of in, sure. the, in the movie. Very much uh, whip smart dialogue, you know, a lot of overlapping dialogue and a lot of gags, like a lot of uh, visual gags. So I guess we should probably talk about the plot of this movie. We did the the brief description uh, obviously, but to go through at least uh, some of the iconic scenes, I think, uh, we kind of have, uh, well, it's hard to call what Cary Grant is doing here uh, being the straight man, not to, you know, that's a whole thing with Cary Grant, I know. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's so fucking goofy in this movie that it's hard to even call him, you know, playing the straight man. Now, his character is supposed to be this slightly bumbling scientist. He's supposed to get married to this extremely straight-laced woman uh, who doesn't even want to have sex with him, which is very funny. 
uh, you know, kind of the thing at the beginning where she's like, oh, no, our, our marriage is, you know, purely for uh, our careers. Like, I see this right. as an extension of our career. No babies or anything like that. And he's like, anything like that? Oh, man. Uh, so yeah, he, like he wants very... to have a family and she wants she's kind of viewing it like a marriage as a symbolic extension of their like working relationship, yes. really. Yes. And so he has to go out and do the thing that all professionals have to do, which is get money from a rich person to do their job. Right. Uh, <laughs> Some things have not changed in the past 85 years. <laughs> that hasn't changed at all. So he's got to go play golf uh, with uh, Mrs. Ransom's, excuse me, Mrs. Random's uh, <laughs> lawyer, I think. Uh Yes, and his attorney or her attorney, Mr. Peabody. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Peabody, of course, Uh, which starts out, I guess, okay. Uh, But in the midst of playing golf, we get these very iconic shots of Catherine Hepburn, uh, who, again, she's she was a massive star. Uh, She was actually quite an athlete, uh, a a somewhat masculine woman for the time. Uh, Again, Mm. we have to kind of preface everything with for the time. Of course, she's still wearing dresses and has long hair and. All this she, stuff, but yeah. Uh, as a, a friend of mine pointed out when I told them what movie I was watching, uh, they watched a fr- the first couple minutes of it, and uh, as they pointed out, she is playing golf in high heels. She the sure beginning is. Of this movie. <laughs> yeah, she sure is. Just the fact that she's not wearing like a, like a wedding dress, I guess, was right. big for the time. Uh, but yeah, I she's mean, a sporting woman. Honestly, yeah. playing golf in high heels is such a fucking power move, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, that, I think it's uh, kind of awesome, so good on her. Seriously, yeah. I, everything Catherine Hepburn did was kind of a power move. Uh, sure. And, and, which I'm, yeah. I'm it, not really was... familiar with her or, or kind of any actors of that time, really. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I, I know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these are two of the biggest stars, uh, really, okay. at the time. Um, And, I, you know, I don't know... Exactly if, like, they were at the peak of their starhood at this point, but both of them were in so many classic movies. Um, of course, Cary Grant went on to be in, uh, you know, North by Northwest and and so many, so many movies. And stars at this time, uh, it's not to say that actors now are completely pigeonholed, but stars at this time might be in a crime drama one week and then a romantic comedy the next and then an action movie the next, then a sci-fi movie. They kind of move from genre to genre a little bit more freely than I think we sort of think of today. And Howard Hawks, the director, certainly, this is true of him, uh, the, a major movie he made a couple of years before this was Scarface. Like, no. one of the most iconic, you know, James Cagney gangster movies of the 30s. Like, really, sure. really, really. And then this, like, very iconic uh, screwball comedy. They don't get much different, right? Like, right. serious, terrifying gangster drama and, you know, g- goofy leopard chasing. It's it's pretty, uh, <laughs> you know, pretty different, right? Uh, right. But, yeah, in the movie, they get mixed up together and mayhem ensues basically. Oh, yeah. It, from the jump, basically, any time that these two are on screen together, uh, Catherine Hepburn's character is basically, like I mentioned earlier, trying to get <laughs> Cary Grant killed in increasingly <laughs> violent ways. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, so she she almost, what, runs him over with a car, then he's on the sideboard of the car, and he, yeah. he, she runs him off She's, the She steals course. his car, starts to destroy it first, uh, <laughs> after after trying to uh, sabotage a million-dollar deal for the uh, museum by stealing his golf ball. She then tries to steal his car. 
Um, yeah, uh huh. And then, uh, then immediately introduces a leopard, like a a leopard that she says is tame. That we throughout this movie are are assured is the good leopard, except for like. <laughs> Cary Grant is, like, not buying it. <laughs> like, there's a scene later on where it's playing with the dog or whatever, and she's like, oh, no, it loves dogs. And he's like, we don't know that that's going to be how that works out. <laughs> like, we should get that leopard away from that dog. Yeah. And there's a lot of great uh, sort of animal hijinks in this movie, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot going on with that. One of my favorite early scenes, and this is actually a scene I... Uh, <laughs> Pulling back the curtain, I did a little lecture with my students this morning on oh. this uh, particular scene, which is the telephone scene, Be Brave, Susan. Uh, this is where right. I started to love this movie, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff that happens early on. I don't remember if the underwear scene happens before this. I think it does. It uh, does. And that I one's believe, really yeah. good, too, because it's a comedy of errors type of thing where they're at a uh, fancy restaurant and there are two wardrobe malfunctions. There is... Uh, a ripping of Cary Grant's jacket, and then an unfortunate accident with the back of Catherine Hepburn's dress. So there's a hilarious, like, flashing your underwear scene. Very common at the time. Like, this is what, how you could be like, oh, it's a sex joke without making a sex joke. Right, yeah. Uh, because this era is also defined by the Hayes Code, uh, which was a, oh. a sort of like a, a decency code. Like, you couldn't be ultra-violent or sexual. You could not show a lot of things. Uh, at this period. So they had to be a little more clever to get around a lot of that stuff. And that's a very cleverly staged scene, certainly. Right. But the telephone scene is one of my favorite. And again, this is the thing that made me, that really endeared this movie to me. It wasn't just like, oh, giggling. It was like, I actually guffaw at this scene uh, because we have Susan on the telephone playing with her. <laughs> it's her pet leopard baby, who's also actually supposed to be her aunt's pet leopard right. named baby and baby really likes uh, uh a song an earlier tune but that comes into play later uh, but <laughs> she's trying to get david to come over and hang out and deal with the leopard she thinks he's a zoologist she doesn't know what a zoologist is it's a whole thing she gets baby into the bathroom and then gets very upset because david refuses to come over and help her and she's really right. pissed about it and during this whole scene by the way he is clutching his bone his like <laughs> a his, brontosaurus bone, his brontosaurus intercostal clavicle or whatever bullshit they made up. I uh, think you which, got it right there. Did I? Okay, good. I think you got it. Yeah, it's some kind of clavicle. I think is what Something. they call it. I don't know if that's actually what kind of bone it's supposed to represent. It's just a big like. Uh, yeah. Technically, fossils aren't even bones. It's a whole thing. This movie does not particularly um, invested in what paleontology is. <laughs> It's not really doing a science super well. Let's, mm -mm. let's be clear on that. He's like holding it like a football in this entire scene. He's just hanging on <laughs> to this bone, which is very funny uh, in itself. Uh, but uh, Susan gets very upset that he won't come to her aid. And she trips in her room in a, in a hilarious, just gag, like a hilarious slapstick fashion. He worries that she's been attacked by the leopard. And at right. first, she's kind of like, oh, no, David, I just felt, oh, the leopard. And then she starts throwing things around the room. <laughs> destroying her, Flashing. like, own apartment. <laughs> yeah, destroying her own apartment, raking the phone across a fireplace to, like, make horrible sounds. And David, stricken with fear that this woman that he clearly loves, even though she keeps trying to kill him, is in trouble, also runs out. 
But then he trips and falls and falls like on his face. And I can only imagine every time I watch this, all I can imagine is how many takes it took because these were big ass cameras at the time. And there's a lot of kind of camera movement. There's no there's no steady cams. Like this is a big old RKO giant <laughs> film camera. How many times did Cary Grant have to fall all the way on his face <laughs> <laughs> for this scene? And uh, Catherine Hepburn, for that matter, like how many times did they have like a near nose break, which would have killed the publicity for this movie? Yeah, because they're yeah. falling on their faces so hard. Like, oh, anyway, yeah, it's not a, I love it's that not a movie scene. that. <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a great scene, and it's also a, a scene that like I think drives home for me a thing that I'm not even sure how to unpack, and maybe this is something that you know more about, um, just based on what era this was from. Sure. Uh, there is there is an early on an element I think of like this weird sort of class divide between yeah. um, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant's characters yeah. uh, that is for me driven home by the fact that like you know he is like constantly trying to get this million dollars to don't not for himself but to donate to a museum because he cares very deeply about this museum um, of natural history that he is trying to uh, support. And she, meanwhile, has a pet leopard that her cousin has <laughs> airmailed to her. It's yeah, that's unclear. Not clear. That's how the fuck did that leopard get there? <laughs> right. Um, and uh, at the drop of a hat, is willing to just destroy basically anything and everything if it gets her what she wants, and like any material objects near her to uh, get his attention and stuff like that. And you know, maybe there's an element of that that is of just like, well, she's willing to do whatever it takes to because she has feelings for this one guy, but also she comes from clearly a rich family. She oh, also yeah. wants the million dollars, but she clearly is doing very well for herself. She does not appear to work for a living. She appears to be independently wealthy in some fashion, even before the million dollars. Um, thanks to her... Uh, did they ever really explain what her family has money from, or is that just kind of left off the table? I don't think so i think it's just kind of she's an heiress of some kind or it just is from a wealthy family of some kind and i think you're absolutely right uh that she is wildly rich i mean if you even just look at her apartment in the telephone scene it's like right beautiful upholstery you know everything's gorgeous and this is like her bedroom and she has like a fireplace and six different rooms in her own bathroom and and everything else and then you see the aunt later on being a very you know society matron a very very wealthy woman Right. Uh, this is taking place in New York and Connecticut. Uh, so, you know, she probably has like an estate in Connecticut is, is kind of the idea here. And right. Because he it, is... does, it does appear that she is yeah. in some kind of apartment in the city, but then also maybe lives in a house in Connecticut. Yeah. Which she is. She maybe like sleeps in the city, but yeah. It, there's a lot. And actually, it's very funny because it was like almost like a sub feature of, <laughs> of the screwball genre where so many of them take place in New York. And if you were very wealthy in New York at the time, uh, you may have had an estate in Connecticut, you know, right. the neighboring state where there are, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut still is an incredibly rich community, you know, just right. sort of on the border, basically. So this is Wrestling almost fans. Like another. Yeah, I think Philadelphia Story is one of these. I, I forget if His Girl Friday is one of these, but like several films that were like, oh, yes, it happened in New York. And then really rich people have houses in Connecticut because they're from New York. So there's like this iconography of it. I don't right. think that Cary Grant is supposed to be working class or poor he's certainly educated he's a scientist yeah. he has a job but he's he has to work for his money he has to go on that golf course you know <laughs> and uh work you know uh it's not really clear if he does the uh the digs i think somebody else does the digging and he assembles the skeletons of the dinosaur whatever yeah. it is there is a divide there it's like you know 
upper middle class or middle class to very high society, very, very rich uh, sort of thing. So that was another element that is pretty, uh, pretty common in these movies where, you know, there is an element of class divide or class clashing. Uh, my man Godfrey, I think, is one where, you know, somebody kind of basically pretends to be uh, like a, a more rich person than they are. And this oh. is Depression era. So people, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of theories that say, like, you know, people want kind of escapism. They want this kind of farce. They want to see like, oh, happy, rich people having fun and being rich, I guess. Uh, and a side effect of it ended up being that like women were a little bit more equal, I guess, because they're. Uh, you know, more often in these movies, pretty smart and, and fairly even powerful. Uh, in this movie, like women kind of hold the power, which is a, a weird and interesting thing, especially for this time. Uh, the aunt is the one with the money. It's not the, right. it's not her boyfriend or whatever the hell the colonel is. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not Cary Grant. It's, uh, you know, Catherine Hepburn's character. They're the ones with like the money and the power. And they're kind of the ones who are directing a lot of the, you know, sort of chaotic energy <laughs> in this movie. I mean, there's a way of reading this movie, not as it is, but the same events and the same plot as just like a horror movie, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Susan Vance being like a, a an agent of chaos, like a, like a <laughs> you know, like a monster of some kind, you know, like the thing of bringing a baby kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah, uh, it's like it, she, in another version of this, she's like the, you know, the mask, like to the Jim Carrey yes. movie? Oh, God. They're, it's like based, that's based on a comic book. And in the comic book, the kind of general premise of the, that is like, oh, what if some you met somebody in real life who had all the powers of like Bugs Bunny, but everybody else around them didn't? It would be horrifying. Like if they right. could just pull out giant <laughs> weapons from from literally nowhere and smash you into the dirt, into like a pulp. Or, you know, there's a the killer clowns from outer space kind of plays oh, in that same yes. vein. And that is kind of the vibe I got from a lot of parts of this movie because it is <laughs> deep. It, it's a mix of what they're going for, for what was just, you know, Pratt Falls and comedy at, yeah. the, at that era, but also... Um, kind of mixed with the style of like dialogue that they do in this movie is very like, like what did uh, you, you just mentioned it in the notes here. Um, whip as smart. Whip smart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. what that ends up meaning a lot of the time is like lots of characters talking over each other while a dog is barking at them while a, a leopard <laughs> is screaming and then somebody is singing and all this other stuff. And it's supposed <laughs> to be just this like cacophony of nightmares that like is and the end result of which is like, oh, we need to sing. And this dog is howling and this leopard is shouting because if we don't, this leopard is going to come and kill us all because that's <laughs> what we have to worry about. It's like deeply stressful. This movie is my uncut gems. Like, I, it's just a never ending series of people making bad decisions that they have to then constantly worm their way out of. <laughs> yeah. I really, truly love that that was like where your brain went for this. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Like it's genuinely, hey, also takes place in New York and right. the suburb, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, also has like very oppressive audio in a lot of, in a yeah. lot of states. Uh, whereas that movie does it intentionally to try and, um, you know, uh, make the movie feel a lot more claustrophobic and oppressive. This one tries to do it to kind of like get your attention. Cause again, that's just kind of my yeah. understanding of what a lot of comedy was back then. Um, but God damn it. Does it just get very stressful at parts it does. now? God, I, now I'm thinking is uncut gems, a, a screwball comedy. <laughs> I based on the way that movie ends. No, <laughs> Uh, in the the uncut yeah. gems version of this movie would be uh, no. Cary Grant does just get eaten by the leopard. I'm sorry. Yeah, 
Or he or he dies like jumping off his his brontosaurus or something. I don't know. <laughs> something, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> something terrible. Uh yeah, it, this movie really is a constant escalation of uh in in ways that I do think work and then in ways that that may have been too stressful. Uh but it's just an escalation every time we have another scene, every time we have another sort of set of gags. It's escalating the stakes and escalating the stakes. Uh sort of uh, in the middle end, you know, towards the end, uh, but still kind of in the middle section, we have this sort of dinner party where the aunt uh, is hosting her boyfriend, I think. I don't know, the yeah, colonel. They never really say, but they're basically dating. They're, yeah. they're courting, yeah, ob- they're pretty obviously courting. to me. I like that. I, I think yeah, that's Colonel sweet. Colonel Applegate, I believe is his oh, name. Oh, yes, Colonel Applegate, who is an expert in making leopard voices, which is an <laughs> incredible... Uh, section of this wild ass movie uh they're having a dinner party with the the two young people and they've already kind of said that uh you know david has uh is having a nervous breakdown of of some kind so the fact that he's acting very strangely uh doesn't bother people so much now of course Catherine hepburn's in love with him and he's kind of in love with her but he's also uh, it's just he's had a bad day he was supposed to get married that day he didn't get married his bone got buried by george the dog and then of course baby the leopard is on the prowl. So there's many animal hijinks. There's a lot of falling down. There's a lot of walking into scenes and walking out of scenes and singing and dancing and all kinds of things. And it all culminates in a sort of jail scene where everyone right. is arrested. They Just finally pay for their, for their literal and figurative crimes in yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly. Uh, and I have to say, one of my favorite cuts in this entire movie, which I think really supports... Uh, so Howard Hawks is known for having... You know, not necessarily uh, buying into feminism, but having a lot of very strong, very smart gals in his movies. Uh, You could read it as a sort of very proto-feminism or even as just like a, you know, just caring about his characters or more more liberally leaning than more more so than a lot of the sort of general feeling about about men and women. So he he did have a lot of very strong, interesting women characters in his movies. And of course, Susan is. Absolutely a, a strong and intelligent person, whether or not she has any common sense is something else, but uh, there is a cut. Uh, now, we have to explain that there are two leopards. There is a bad right. leopard. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> who has uh, attacked someone at the circus, and that leopard is on the loose uh, due to a whole bunch of mayhem and madcap adventuring. Uh, and then there's Baby, the tame leopard, uh, who is, you know, a nice leopard who likes music uh, and playing with the dog, which is cute. Uh, and Susan has accidentally gone to go and see if she can catch a leopard. She doesn't know that there's two. She doesn't know that she'd be going after the, you know, the tough one. And David says something like, oh, no, Susan has no chance. I have to help her. And it cuts immediately to Susan dragging this leopard. You know, like <laughs> she caught him, no problem, and is just sort of pulling him into the jail to to go where everybody else is for the climax of the movie, which is like a very smart little cut. It's like, oh, this dumbass man who thinks he's Mr. Hero uh, she she brought him in with no problem, like by herself with a rope. Like, I, believe, very... I believe the line he says is literally, she's helpless without me. Yeah. And then it cuts to her dragging a yeah. live, angry circus leopard into a police station <laughs> to prove to everyone. Because the, 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 they have wound up in jail, uh, not for actually for their crimes, for their various crimes, but because of a series of misunderstandings about their identity. And yeah. like somebody thinks that uh, Cary Grant is a peeping Tom. Somebody thinks, yeah. uh, some, some psychiatrist thinks that Susan is... 
like tr- intentionally trying to basically I don't know stalk them or something. Yep. <laughs> like she's standing outside their window singing, uh, and he doesn't believe her that she's trying to catch a leopard, so he ends up like forcibly dragging her into his home, which is very stressful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and she escapes this whole situation before even getting the leopard. By the way, by doing a whole like. New York crime gal routine. Right. She does this kind of Bonnie and Clyde thing for a minute (laughs) where they're like, no, we don't believe you that you're uh, you have a rich aunt because, again, a series of misunderstandings. So she decides to lean into the lie, basically, like, okay, they're they're going to not going to we're not going to make any forward progress here by telling the truth. So I'm just going to do what I do. And it's kind of a moment where her constant sort of. front that she puts on to try and uh, track uh, Carrie Grant's character. Uh, she uses that to kind of like save the day, basically, to try yeah. and like she literally gets herself out of out of jail, out of, out of it and, and a bunch of other stuff and like leads towards the ultimate moment where they do find the leopard and then, oh, well, there, there's the leopard right here. The police know that they weren't lying about the leopard. <laughs> um, they managed to catch it and save Connecticut from an angry it leopard. Saved the state of Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone had to. Somebody truly had to uh in this movie so yeah there's a lot going on and we're, we're obviously not going into the nitty-gritty of, of every scene or, or how everything kind of comes together but i did want to ask generally uh if the humor worked for you now it does sound like it stressed you out which is fair <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh, but did you did you find it funny was this like enjoyable and funny at at, at points or yeah yeah i think so um yeah, there. It's it's tough because it, um, since I don't have any real, it's it's weird. There is a there are eras of movies that I know are problematic and have problematic things sure. around them, and yeah. I'm able. But I grew up with them, and I'm able to kind of like go back and couch those things in the time that they came out, or acknowledge to myself, "Yep, this is bad. It was bad back then." But also, I love uh, pr- like just as an example, spaghetti westerns. I love Sergio Leone sure, movies. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. A uh, lot of problematic shit in those movies, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I also grew up with them. Uh, whereas this one, it's just like I'm coming to it now, 29 years old in the year 2020, um, when everybody is probably has sharpened their fangs and claws <laughs> to the most in terms of <laughs> politics. Sure. Um, so it's hard for me to look at this movie and kind of just like allow myself to be subsumed by the tone um, and sure. the kind of the, the feel good nature of it, and not just constantly be picking apart little pieces of it. But I. I I don't know if I I, uh, liked the comedy so much as I had an appreciation for the energy a lot of the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And, and like, a lot of gags really do work for me uh, in this movie. But I'll also completely admit that I really like Catherine Hepburn in general. Yes. She seems great. Funny as hell, just a hell of a you know hell of a lady. She's no longer with us, I believe. But you know, was a hell of a lady. uh, You know. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, uh, a pioneer in a lot of ways and, you know, an athlete and, and, and very much somebody who is like a very strong kind of figure in Hollywood. So, you know, I just a fan of hers, a fan of Cary Grant's performance here, if not Cary Grant <laughs> as a whole. Is he uh, bad? And also just a Howard Hawks fan. Uh, he, he is actually a uh, fun fact. We watched the thing last week. Howard Hawks actually did direct uh, the pro, you know, the first oh, adaptation the of that short story. Uh, 1951's. Uh, let's see. Was it just called The Thing as well? I think it was think called it was. The Thing from Outer Space. The Thing from Outer Space. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So he actually directed that a few years after this. Uh, several okay. movies after this, honestly. But yeah, Thing from Another World. Uh, the the very kind of Cold War era. Or it's just kind of very early Cold War era. That was 1951. 
Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, so a fun little <laughs> fun little note there. Uh, uh, just a, a great a director. Note about, a, yeah. a note about Catherine Hepburn, too, is something that you, you mentioned early on. You weren't sure if this was at the height of her career or not. And since you also mentioned that she was a very interesting person. Um, yeah. this was a, I, I was reading a bit about this yesterday, and I've got it pulled up here, too. But apparently, like, this was basically the near end of her career, this movie. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, so in, apparently in 1933, she was in a, a big movie. She got an Academy Award for Best Actress um, yeah. from Morning Glory in 1933. But then uh, following that was in a, just a series of commercial failures, which after uh, bringing a baby, uh, was she was basically labeled box office poison and nobody oh, would work shit. with her. Yeah. Because it, it was kind of a flop uh, at the time. It was. Yeah, it was. A, it didn't go well. <laughs> apparently not yeah and then she according to this at least you know this is wikipedia so take it with a grain of salt but sure uh, hepburn masterminded her own comeback buying out her contract with rko radio pictures and acquiring the film rights to the philadelphia story which she sold on the condition that she be the star nice uh, that comedy film again co-starring Cary grant was a box office success and landed her a third academy award nomination plus won her other co-star james stewart his only academy award both yep. movies are now considered among the greatest comedy films yeah, absolutely. Smart as hell. Just like yeah. a, a a strong, smart, awesome kind of lady. I know she, African Queen uh, was another kind of classic many years later. That was in the 50s at this point. And she actually lived until 2003. She was like 96, I think, yeah. when, she, when she passed away, which is like, hell yeah. Good job. Oh, she was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in the 60s. That's amazing. Huh. Good for her. Yeah, the second again. of her four Academy Awards. So a uh, long just- career... Very interesting person, uh, you know, very, very liberal, uh, you know, very uh, like, again, of course, we are certainly talking about a rich white woman. Like, there's no question. <laughs> we right. absolutely are. Uh, so I'm not sitting here trying to, you know, just worship somebody who is like a rich uh, celebrity or anything like that. But, you know, a very interesting person who did some really cool things and and a lot of things to be, uh, I think, to be, um, you know, to be honored. So that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I also I also appreciate uh, some things about this movie in terms of just it's really well shot. It's really well staged. There's a lot of really clever things that are happening that are pretty subtle, but like getting out of the way of the performances, which really is a hard thing to nail. I mean, at this point, Howard Hawks had made so many movies. He obviously is a very good director, but there is just like a certain craft to getting out of the way of a great comedic performance, you know, mm. using subtle, subtle camera angles, not going like wildly berserk, not going over, not even going sort of over the top with close ups or things like that. These performances are so good that a lot of this movie is in fairly wide or medium shots because, again, of all the sort of chaotic energy and action and there's a big cast and all this other stuff. But the performances read so well that they didn't even need, like, a close-up on the face to show the wacky face kind of thing. Which is, again, like, man, that is so hard to do. (laughs) It's so hard to do, like, subtle good filmmaking in a piece that is not subtle at all. This is a big wacky comedy, big goofy comedy. Uh, But it reads super, super well. Uh, Even even now, you know, watching this in 2020, I'm like, oh, man, this is... This is awesome. This is like how you get out of the way and best show these kinds of performances in like a very real and very, very cool way. And again, things like those really clever little edits, they're, they're small touches, but they're so damn smart. And they, they really do serve to make you feel like, oh, yeah, OK, she's on equal footing intellectually with this this male character who's supposed to be this brilliant scientist. Right. There is there's a really nice sense of 
Yeah, like men and women being at least intellectual equals here, even if it's in this wacky world, even if it is in this very comedic performance. There is something nice about that, especially for the time. This is pre-war. This is pre-World right. War One. Uh, excuse me, two. Two. World yeah. War Two. We're talking about the 30s, not the teens. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> so, that. World War Two would have been the time where, you know, that that is historically, at least to my understanding, when like a lot of women entering the workforce for the first time in the United States and stuff like that. So this is pre that free right? that like, yeah yeah by a, yeah by a, a fair little bit here so yeah this is depression era america and this is a piece of very escapist funny happy comedy that also happens to have like a fairly i think uh decent message about women <laughs> not being right. just doofy you know stupid stereotypes right uh now I mean, she's goofy but she's real yeah. smart. <laughs> she, she's goofy, but she's goofy. Like all of her chaos is engineered from the beginning. Like yes. she has the whole thing at the end where she explains the, like, again, uh, I talked about it at the start of this year, but uh, yeah, she, she wanted uh, him around basically the whole time. And there's like actually some really good lines where he's like talking about, it's like, I'm, I, I need to be married tomorrow. And she like very early on in the movie. And she's like, Oh, I think you should be married too. And she gets it. <laughs> and he, it completely blows past him. What she's actually trying to say. And she's like, but she has this like smile on her face the whole time she's saying it because she knows exactly what she's doing um, yeah. and she knows that she is just like moving a mile a minute faster than this guy ever will but at the same time she just appreciate like it, he's a good looking dude and yeah. you know he he's a good a kind person you know um, it seems to have a lot of the same values that she does at the end of the day yeah, uh, and, and knows that he could maybe you know have a you know uh, I don't know there there is a maybe an element of it of that is a little bit manipulative but like also sure. he he doesn't seem particularly super happy with his situation in the first place and maybe needed to be shaken out of his um, rut a little bit yeah. now that she would know that because she knows nothing about this dude's life when she meets <laughs> him uh, unless she had Mister Peabody spying on him the entire time which is certainly possible yeah, yeah that's not beyond belief for no. season fans. <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, can we talk just briefly about the ending? Uh, yeah. I, I want to know how you thought of the sort of ending scene in the back in the museum on the ladder <laughs> uh, between these two friggin' goofballs. Right. Oh, it, it's another moment uh, where it's just like more proof that she's just like, again, moving so much faster than this guy that she already knows that she is forgiven for her, for, uh, for her kind of clumsiness uh, right at the end. Cause they're both like, and it's also a situation where they both fuck up and trip and, and all that stuff. Like she's clumsy, oh, yeah. but, but, but her clumsiness is no, like is not that particularly unique for the world that they have built here, where he is <laughs> yeah. constantly tripping over his own two feet as well, because that's just the way of the, the physics work of this universe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they trip over. Or they, they're on a ladder. They knock over. Uh, they knock over the entire dinosaur bone uh, yep. thing, right? The the entire brontosaurus gets kind of destroyed. Um, and she's like, "Can you forgive me?" And he's like, "About to say no." <laughs> he's like, very much just like, "I've spent the last four years of my life building this thing, um, and I really don't want to forgive you." And it's like, "Oh!" And before he can finish her, his sentence, uh, she's already like, "Oh, you can forgive me. You're such a kind and caring and generous person." Like, like, oh, it's so amazing. Uh, I, p- I picked such a good person that you could possibly forgive me. And he's like still trying to say no, but he's just like, it's kind of the moment where he finally realizes, oh, she's always she's already beaten me to the punch on everything. Like, I was going to forgive her. She knew it ahead of time um, because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a thing. I can rebuild it, whatever. Um, so he just kind of accepts that she is right. 
and, and and acknowledges it and that's kind of where we end the movie uh is it's him kind of like acknowledging that she uh what she was the kind of the entire time finally realizing now that he has all the pieces of the puzzle kind of realizing what their relationship is going to be like going forward and kind of being okay with that yeah which again read in a different uh, way like framed and staged in a different way could totally be a horror movie thing oh yeah totally <laughs> like he's trapped forever uh-huh like he's trapped the- forever uh, swinging from dinosaur bones kind of thing. Like, this right. is this man's life now. Uh, but this is a goofy comedy, and it's screwball comedy, and it's the 30s, and people do totally. want to see happy things. Uh, and so it's, like, kind of a happy ending. Uh, it's a throw up your hands, you love love who you're with, you know, right. hey, you know, you just got dumped by the other lady, and, and, and you know, Susan Vance seems like a, a lot more fun. And he had already admitted his love for her at this point, right. you know, as they're swinging... <laughs> As she's swinging, rather, on this just comical <laughs> ladder that is somehow swinging, like, six feet from left to right without falling down, uh-huh. uh, which is also just very, very good. Lots of just yeah. big motions in this movie. Big old and, motions. And, and early on, he does acknowledge that, like, he has feelings for her off the bat, but he's just like, I can't just drop my entire life, uh, you know, for this or whatever. Um, and she's just like, nah. <laughs> it's like, like nah, yeah, yeah, you can. Like, I got so much money. Like, who cares? Like, he can uh, be a kept man, frankly. Sure, like, <laughs> totally. You know, um, I, I think he I think he enjoys his work too much. I think he believes in the museum too much yeah. to do that. But yeah, <laughs> he can be a kept man who takes his job at the museum and like. He can take eight years to build the skeleton this time. Oh, it's, sure. it's fine. You know, he has time now. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Very, uh, a very interesting and uh, fun movie. Uh, Stephen, is there anything else you wanted to, to point out about, about the movie until or or shall we shall we wrap this up for next time? Yeah, I think we can wrap it up there. It's a shorter episode, but there's just two of us. So I think that's OK to do every once in a while. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have a breezy comedy and yeah. uh, y- you talk about a few things and then you feel pretty good about it. So. Totally. Bringing up baby. That's the movie we watched. And so that's all for this week, my friends. We hope you enjoyed your cinematic journey with us. Please be sure to rate and review our podcast because it really does help us. And we do appreciate that. You can listen to all of our stuff at fanbyte.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at fanbyte media, Instagram at fanbyte, TikTok at fanbyte, and of course on fanbyte.com. And, of course, you can also watch Late Lunch, our excellent Monday, Wednesday, Friday talk show on twitch.tv slash fanbyte, as well as all the streams we've been doing. Stephen, you've been doing a lot of streaming lately. Do you want to give that a little plug? Yeah, uh, we just had a uh, nice long one last night, actually, uh, where we played uh, (laughs) possibly the uh, most diametrically opposed in tone game we could have from something like (laughs) Bringing Up Baby, which is a game called GTFO. (laughs) (laughs) Which is about um, kind of mind-controlled prisoners being sent in to die in a zombie nightmare by an AI prison warden. It's not entirely clear. Uh, Well, I Uh, guess there's a a jail in both. It's about the only thing I can... (laughs) You know, there there are things with fangs in both. So you can tell, you can see the through line right there. Oh, yeah. Same movie, practically. Movie slash game. (laughs) <laughs> and and then we kind of rounded things out with a little bit of destiny. I'm going to try and get an archive nice. of that up on the site. I'm going to we're going, we're trying to archive more of our stuff so people don't have to necessarily watch the live streams because I know that's difficult for a lot of people and it's something I've been pushing for for a long time. So we'll try and get yeah. that up. People can read or watch that rather, and you can read my uh, paleozoology papers on fanbyte.com as well. <laughs> uh, can we uh, f- uh, follow you on Twitter for more paleozoology uh, advice? 
Sure, you can. Uh, you can you can try. Uh, it's <laughs> at Stephen Strom on Twitter. S T E V E N S T R O M. Awesome. And if you want to uh, read about my uh, madcap adventures, I guess I don't know, or my paleo zoo and zoology. I do a lot of that on the streets of Brooklyn. I guess. Uh, I don't know. I got a lot of animals. I was trying to think of where to go with that. Had nowhere. So you can just follow me on Twitter uh, at Danielle R I. Uh, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-R-I. And you know what? Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Whether you celebrate it or if you celebrate some other permutation, Palentine's Day, some people do one of those. I mean, you know? hey, if, if you don't celebrate uh, Valentine's Day, happy Sonic the Hedgehog, the motion picture release That's right. day. That's right. Happy. Let's end on that note. Happy, <laughs> happy Sonic. Happy Sonic. Happy Sonic. Bye. Bye. Bye.